0: Welcome back to another episode of Umptum Ruminations. I'm the host, Scott. Today's episode is called Secular Faith. Thanks for coming back to listen to another episode. I do have a quick announcement to say before we jump in. I am presenting at the Thrive event in my local city. So if you are from the Portland, Oregon metro area, I don't know how many tickets are left at this point, but I will be presenting at the Thrive there this Saturday, so January 22nd. So if that's something you're interested in, if that's something you're planning on attending, come see me i I'm doing a quick 30 minute presentation it should be a lot of fun for those that are regular listeners there's going to be some overlap in some of the things that I have said previously so um it might sound a little bit familiar in last week's discussion the episode called faith versus knowledge I discussed a little bit the relationship between faith and knowledge from a religious standpoint But I didn't use the word faith. I didn't use the the word faith in a secular way in that discussion. And that's precisely what I want to do with this discussion. So we're gonna add a little bit of nuance to this relationship between faith and knowledge. My goal with last week's episode was to present a very black and white, easy-to-understand distinction between knowledge and faith. But in reality, this relationship is much more nuanced than what I expressed. So we're going to dive a little bit deeper into the relationship between faith and knowledge. More than most episodes, I received a lot of great comments to the last episode. And I want to read a couple of them because I think they highlight some of this distinction that I'm trying to make really well. So let's hear what a couple of the listeners had to say about the discussion of faith and knowledge. Now, this first comment is is really interesting because it comes from a believing member of the church and they're expressing their understanding of this relationship between faith and knowledge. And I actually really liked it. Here's what this listener had to say. I just wanted to give my definition of faith in contrast to a secular framework. And that secular framework is what we're going to discuss in a little bit here. A secular framework is driven by evidence and supported by authority figures. At the end of the day, if you can show an authority figure the error through the evidence, that authority figure will be superseded. In contrast, a faith framework is the opposite. It is driven by authority and supported by the evidence. In the best case scenario, the authority figure is God, but in reality, it's a collection of thought and spiritual leaders. At the end of the day, if an authority figure disagrees with the evidence, the evidence will be superseded. Love that. It's such a crisp definition of a religious faith and a secular faith. Now, he finishes off with this this great comment here, and I love it. I think the evidence is clear that trusting authority over evidence has led to human detriment. I'm at the place now that if God himself came down and said, The church is true... I'd be like, oh, awesome. But walk me through that because some things just don't add up. I also had two listeners reach out and share the scripture from the Book of Mormon in Alma 2, Alma thirty two twenty one, And that scripture reads, and now, as I said, concerning faith. Faith is not to have a perfect knowledge of things. Therefore, if ye have faith, ye hope for things which are not seen, which are true. So the scripture goes back to this idea that we chatted about last week, where people of the religious inclination think that if they believe something is true, that it makes it true. Even if it's not seen, it's still true. But having a belief in something doesn't make it true. And we discussed that a little bit last week. So if you, if you haven't listened to that episode, I go into a little bit of detail on that. And I also chatted about it a couple episodes back in the demarcation of truth claims, where we talked about the difference between truth claims that can be explored and understood to be true or false and ones that can't be examined. This last one shared with me a conversation um, she had with her father leading up to this, she talked about the the relationship with her and her father and he having left the church and her still being in the church. And together they were discussing faith and they looked at it in the Bible dictionary. And so she says, I have been in quite a bit of a distress lately, realizing that I've stopped believing in about 85% or more of the LDS church's beliefs or truth claims. He reminded me of what the Bible dictionary says about faith. Third paragraph, first sentence. All true faith must be based upon correct knowledge, or it cannot produce the desired result. Her father explained that, that this is what, ha- what is happening to her. The knowledge I had before about the church has changed. New information has come in, and so my faith must change with it. It cannot stay in the same place. The faith may disappear in some cases. This is a great way to explore what happens to a nuanced believer when they encounter new information that is contrary to the ideas that they held faith in before. All faith must be based upon correct knowledge. I think that's an interesting statement when examining the truth claims of the church. Because so many of them can be explored and examined to see whether they are true or false. There's still others that can't be proven true or false, but many of them can be. What does a believing member of the church do with that? Excellent comment. Thanks thanks for everyone who did reach out to me and share their thoughts on this episode. That was awesome. Loved it. So now we're going to jump into this discussion. Secular faith. Secular faith is evidence-based and supported by authority figures. Now, there's a couple of things that I want to explore about this, because when a secular person knows something, oftentimes this knowledge is a faith in the scientific method or faith in an institution. Last week, I used the example of the sun rising and setting every day. This is something that's evidence-based. We can watch the sun rise and watch the sun set every day. But does that mean it will happen tomorrow? Is there a possibility that it won't rise or that it won't set? If you're immediately jumping to no, I think you should be cautious with that assumption. Something could happen to our sun, it could explode or it could expand and alter the gravitation of our solar system, and it could knock the Earth into a different rotation. There are countless things that hypothetically could happen that would alter the way our sun rises and sets every day. We have faith in this scientific method of observation, and we say that the sun will rise tomorrow. This first one that I'm exploring is faith in the scientific method. Now, I want to complicate this a little bit. I said briefly that oftentimes... We have faith in the scientific method, where we don't actually know that something is true. Now, I want to explore this idea a little bit because there are so many things that we know, and I'm putting air quotes around that, that we personally do not know. For this, I'll stick with astronomy a little bit because that's what we were talking about with the sun rising and setting every day. I was taught how to identify the planets in the night sky and how to look up and see which of the lights out there are actually planets. I know this and I'm putting that in air quotes. I know this because someone told me that these, these brighter stars are actually planets, but I never personally observed their rotation in the night sky. So I'm putting faith In the observation and scientific method that someone else did. And I'm using that faith in their practice of the scientific method to base this knowledge that I have. I've never seen a planet up close, so I don't know what they look like. But I'm trusting or I'm having faith in the process that astronomers have done for millennia. A good example of this, where the evidence supersedes an authority figure, is Galileo. Those in Galileo's time had faith in the fact that all of the objects in the night sky revolved around the earth, and it was a geocentric model, earth-centered model for the universe. Now, Galileo was observing the movements of the planets and the sun, and he came to the conclusion based on the evidence that it was actually a heliocentric model, or everything revolved around the sun. It was this idea that put him in conflict with the Roman Catholic Church. I'm not going to jump into too many of the details of this story, but, but here's an interesting example of when Everyone had faith in the scientific method that others had done in the past to examine the rotation of the Earth and the rotation of the stars, and they assumed that Earth was the center. And they had faith in that scientific, if you will, fact at the time. When new evidence comes forth and the existing knowledge is challenged, new knowledge has to come and replace it. And this is that secular version of faith. This secular idea of faith is driven by evidence. And the evidence can supersede authority. Now, where the faith comes into play, as I said, I did not personally study the movements of the planets and the sun and the moon in the night sky. I have faith in the scientific method that astronomers such as Galileo and modern astronomers have done. And I have faith that their knowledge is accurate. Now I'm going to take this one step further. There's another aspect of this that we have faith in institutions. Now what I mean by that is a man like Carl Sagan, astrophysicist's they come out and they talk about a subject, we immediately believe them. We, we have faith in what they're teaching about different subjects. Why is that? Why should I listen to a Carl Sagan instead of someone else that might claim something different? What about these people is different than everyone else? And this goes to our educational systems and degrees so we as a people we put faith in the educational institutions and the degrees that they give out and we put faith in these these professors and these scientists because a school says this person learned what we had to teach but we didn't personally sit in those classes we didn't watch them learning But we have faith in the institution that says this person knows about this subject. Now, I want to present an interesting problem to this. And this is just to explore your thoughts on the subject. And I'll just present it and let you guys think about it. There was a recent Mormon Stories podcast collaboration with Radio Free Mormon where they discussed with the late Egyptologist Robert Rittner, about the translation process of the book of Abraham. The interesting aspect of this is that there's an Egyptologist by the name of John Gee that works for BYU in their Near Eastern Languages department. This professor has a PhD from Yale in Egyptology. So here we have two academics. A Robert Rittner and we have a John Gee. And both of them are experts in the field of Egyptology. But they have different opinions on a subject related to Egyptology. So the question of this is who would you put more faith in? The, the academic standing of John Gee or the academic standing of Robert Rittner? Because our view of both of these men is based on faith. We don't know what they know about Egyptology. The lay person, such as you and I, we can't read hieroglyphics or the Coptic. We don't know what these writings say personally. And we trust their translations of these words. We have faith in their knowledge. So, why would one person trust what? John Gee says about the book of Abraham over what Robert Rittner said and vice versa. Why would someone trust a Robert Rittner over a John Gee? But I think it presents an interesting distinction between faith and knowledge because both of these men are experts in the field, but they have different opinions on an idea. So when you listen to them talking, if you listen to the, the discussion between John DeLynn, Radio Free Mormon, and Robert Rittner, they present a lot of the evidence and they talk about exactly what these writings said and then what is claimed to be said by the church apologists. And John Gee is described as one of these church apologists. He looks at this same set of information and he comes to a different conclusion. So which one should we listen to? So there is an element of faith that comes to play when we make a decision about a subject such as the book of Abraham, whether that faith is based on a religious version of faith or a secular version of faith. We could examine why John Gee is saying what he is saying and what motive he may or may not have in promoting one interpretation over another. We can look at what the late Robert Rittner said as well, and we can say, What motives may he have had for presenting the information the way that he did? It's the same set of evidence, esteemed academics, with different ideas. So where do we put our faith? For me, the answer isn't a simple yes or no. There is a relationship between faith and knowledge in a secular way. So I want to circle back to this definition that we stated at the outset, because I think this is the key. So thanks again to the listener for stating it so concisely. A secular framework of faith is driven by evidence and supported by authority. A religious framework of faith is driven by authority and supported by evidence. The distinction for me comes down to who has the last say on a subject. Is it the evidence or is it the authority figure? We could stick with this book of Abraham example. The evidence for this subject is the writings that were translated to be the book of Abraham do not match what is actually written on the papyrus. That's the evidence. So the question is this. Do we put our faith in the evidence over the authority? And the authority in this instance would be Joseph Smith or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints saying that this is scripture, this is an actual translation, whether inspired or literal. Do we have faith in this authority figure over the evidence? Or do we have faith in the evidence over the authority figure? I would rather put my faith in something that can be observed and tested, the evidence, over an authority figure. I could get into a long discussion about some of the other translation projects that Joseph Smith did, and we could talk about his character and the things that he did or did wrong or did right. But it all boils down to this. Do we have faith in the evidence or do we have faith in the authority figure? That's not a question I can answer for the listener. That's a question for the listener to answer for themselves. And let's explore this idea a little bit. Let's say someone has faith in the authority figure. In order to have faith in this authority figure and believe in their claims, you have to ignore the evidence if it contradicts what the authority figure says. What would that look like if we did that in other aspects of our life? If we put faith in an authority figure over faith in evidence? To be concise on this one, I'll just use the example of the early practice of polygamy. After the practice began, there were numerous accusations against Joseph Smith and his congregation that they were practicing polygamy. On a few occasions, Joseph Smith publicly denied these accusations. The evidence showed that they were practicing it, but the authority figure denied That they were practicing it. So, what should a person do in a situation like this, where the evidence directly contradicts what an authority figure is saying? Who should you listen to? Now, this isn't a question I'm going to answer. I'll let the listener think about it and decide for themselves. Because at the heart of this whole religious deconstruction process, that is the concern. Do we listen to the authority figures? Or do we listen to the evidence? I don't say this with the intention that everyone deconstruct their whole religious ideologies and leave Mormonism and Christianity behind. Because I think there are a number of questions that can neither be confirmed nor denied. They cannot be tested. And that is where religious faith comes into play. And those that choose to leave it behind, they are leaning more on an evidence-based system. And those that choose to stay are, are leaning more on an authority-based system because they put authority into these truth claims of various religious institutions that can't be tested to be true or false. And I'm not here to judge anyone for whatever their decision might be. I think everyone has the right to live a happy and fulfilling life as long as they're not hurting their fellow man or woman. And just because one thought system or belief system might resonate more with one person over another doesn't mean that either of them are wrong. Because these claims cannot be proven right or wrong. If you gain fulfillment, peace, and joy from a belief system, that's enough for you. If you don't, that's great too. Find your joy and your happiness in this world. One of the scriptures that I I didn't put much thought into as a believing member of the church, that actually I think is some of the best advice in the Book of Mormon, is this. And this quote comes from 2 Nephi 28, verses 7 and 8. This is a, it's actually a reference to Ecclesiastes, and I'll read that in just a second here. Here's what the Book of Mormon says. Yea, and there shall be many which shall say, Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, and it shall be well with us. And there shall also be many which say, Eat, drink, and be merry, nevertheless fear God. He will justify in committing a little sin, yea, lie a little, take the advantage of one because of his words, dig a pit for thy neighbor, there is no harm in this, and do all these things, for tomorrow we die. And if it so be that we are guilty, God will beat us with a few stripes, and at last we shall be saved in the kingdom of God. Eat, drink, and be merry. This is a phrase often used within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints as a way to condemn those that seek enjoyment in this life. But I think that's some of the best advice that you can find in the scriptures. Now I'll read the Ecclesiastes one because I think this is fantastic. Now this comes from Ecclesiastes. Eight, and I'm going to read verses 14 and 15. And like I said, this is some of the best advice that you can find in the scriptures. It says here in verse 14, and this is the New International Version. There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve, and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. So I commend the enjoyment of life, because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life God has given them under the sun. Now that I've said it, I can't remember what I was... (laughs) (laughs) Whatever you decide is right or wrong for your life... Find happiness and fulfillment in all that you do, because this is the life that you get. Good things and bad things happen to everyone, but we should find joy and peace in this life that we're living. I do want to explore this this passage a bit more, because I think it is fascinating. I didn't really put much thought into as a believing member, but now I think about it regularly. Eat, drink, and be merry. Go live a good life. And if that life is a life of a believer, great. But if that life is a life of a non-believer, also great. This discussion was fascinating. I love this idea of faith. And I love looking at things and trying to understand the complex relationships between disparate ideas. Because when we first examined, as last week we did, we first examined faith and knowledge, it seemed like there was a clear-cut distinction between the two. But as we explored it more, there's a lot more nuance going on in the things that we say that we know. Because we have faith in these institutions. We have faith in the evidence. We have faith that the evidence won't change or that new evidence might come up that disproves or disagrees with the previous evidence. And that's the fascinating thing about the scientific method. It's almost like doing a dot-to-dot puzzle when you don't have all the dots. And when more dots appear, you have to reshape what image is displayed in the dot-to-dot picture. And then again, more dots show up. And so this picture that we had drawn is a little bit different. And then more dots show up. And we have to change the shape just a little bit more. And so this picture is a constantly evolving idea where we just follow the evidence and we try our best to interpret and understand what's being said. If this podcast is something you enjoy, please like it, subscribe it, subscribe to it, share a comment, leave a review. I love hearing from the listeners. Thank you for listening today. I hope that you have an excellent Day